Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Isaiah 9, 1-7 Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebrun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, and this is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are privileged to be not only sitting in the presence of God, but having the opportunity to divide his word and to apply it to ourselves. I do not know if you have encountered stressing or distressful times where you have longed to hear some voice of comfort and assurance. Maybe you have gone through some trying moments and you have wondered, is there anything that God has to say about the situation that I am going through? And if you have been at that place, two things have happened to you. Number one, you have longed to hear a voice of comfort and assurance. Number two, Chances are, when that voice has come, you have found it difficult to believe it because it sounds too good to be true. You remember when the disciples or believers in the New Testament were praying after the arrest of Peter, having heard what King Herod had done to James. Now they pray for Peter who has been arrested and jailed. And thankfully, as you would expect of God, God answers their prayer. But to their surprise, when Peter knocks on their door of the intercession room, a servant named Rhoda coming out and finding Peter on the door, going back in and telling them of the good news that Peter is there, and what do we hear? That the believers did not believe her. They thought, what is this servant girl talking about? It's not possible that Peter would be here. We all know he was arrested. We all know what King Herod does to believers whom he arrests. So how is it possible that Peter would be out of jail and moreover so soon? No way. 
They pray for his release. When God answers his pray- their prayers, they don't believe it. Why? It sounds too good to be true. In a message that we read today, we have a similar situation. The nation of Judah is in trouble, in great fear, because of the conspiracy that has been forged against them by the northern kingdom of Israel and the nation of Syria, who have ganged up together to destroy Judah, remove the king who at this time is King Ahaz, and replace him with the king of their choosing that they can manipulate any time they want. Judah is in crisis. The king himself is scared. He is described like the leaves of a tree that are being blown by the mighty wind as it passes through. It is understandable that he is scared because who wouldn't when there is a war knocking at your door? It is understandable that he should worry and wonder where the covenant God of Israel is at a time like this when the nation desperately needs him. And like all of us, when the prophet Isaiah finally comes with a message of hope and comfort, the king does not believe the message. Nonetheless, what we read in these seven verses is Isaiah's message. Isaiah's response to the king's fear and worry. Isaiah's response to the cry that is desperate that is coming from the nation of Judah. Against this background of battle that is raging on the gates of Jerusalem, the prophet comes and says, worry not. Because the Lord has said, he will save you. The Syrians and the nation of Israel that come against you right now, not only will be defeated by the mighty forces of Assyria, but that you, O Judah, will be saved. And what does the Lord require of the nation of Judah and its king? He says, be still. Come down. Remember that God will save you. Do you remember what I told you before? That not only will God save you, but he has already provided a sign that a virgin will give birth to a son. And that son will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now you would have thought that the king having heard and been given a sign of God's deliverance should have said, oh yeah, Isaiah, I agree with you, I believe you. In fact, now that you have said it, let me go and have a cup of coffee because I know the battle is won, God never fails. Is that the prophet's response? No. How does the prophet, rather, is that the king's response? No. How does he respond? He does not believe in God's intervention. What he does is that he goes to the king of Assyria, a heathen nation that is threatening both him and the surrounding kingdoms, and that is where he seeks help. He goes to the temple of the Lord, removes the honorable, set-apart vessels of silver and gold, and uses them to pay the heathen king of Assyria to help him. He would rather look to the heathen nation for help than to the covenant God of Israel to save him. What I want you to understand as we crown up this series today is that the problem with us is not so much that the good news has not come. The problem with us is that we have not believed the good news. John 1.12, he came to his own and those who were his own did not believe him. But to those who believed in him, to those who received him, 
He gave them the power to become children of God. Our problem today in this broken world is not that there is no good news. It is not a scarcity of good news. It is the failure to believe and act upon the good news. And as you read on from verses 8 to the rest of the chapter, God continues pronouncing judgment on both the northern and the southern kingdom. Why? Because Isaiah's message of hope is not believed and received. So even as we go into the text, I want you to be asking yourself, have I believed the good news that has come my way? Have I believed this message of hope that not only the prophet Isaiah proclaims, but the whole of the Bible does proclaim to me? It is one thing to read about the good news, to read about the light that takes away the darkness. It's another thing for you to be willing to embrace the light. So where do you stand? Have you embraced this light that dispels the darkness? I think that is the challenge for our text today. The prophet Isaiah tells the nation of Judah that in spite of the darkness that surrounds them, the sovereign covenant God will yet intervene and he will rescue them because his glorious light will shine upon them. They will see this light even before it comes their way because this light will begin from the very places where deep darkness has always dwelt. The land of Zebruni and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles or of the nations. The places that the nation of Assyria would hit hard, which were in the borders of northern Israel, in the very place where hopelessness has been proclaimed, God would bring hope as light shines in the darkness of that land. That the God who has judged them on account of their sin would now save them and restore them on account of his grace. That light would shine. And this light would be embodied within the most unexpected of all things, a child. It is one thing to know that God will intervene. But it is even much more marveling and amazing that when God does intervene, he intervenes through the weakest of things that you can ever imagine. You know, probably King Ahaz would have been comforted if the prophet had told him that a mighty uh, group of angels was coming to heaven to save them. Probably Ahaz would have believed that. If the prophet Isaiah had come and said, King Ahaz, don't worry, I am assembling an army of nations that have gathered together to come and defeat these two nations that have ganged up against you, maybe Ahaz would have said, yes, I understand what you're talking about. If the prophet had come and said, I have come to train your armies in sophisticated skills for battle combat, the prophet, rather the king Ahaz would have said, now we are getting somewhere. But you know what is frustrating in all of this? That when the prophet comes to talk about the threat of war, he says the promise of hope will be in a baby. And the king is saying, what? Really, at a time like this? Isaiah, can you ever be serious for once? We need more weapons. We need battle-hardened men. We, we, we need people with experience. We, we need people with intelligence who can gather intelligence for us on the front line. And, and all your God has to offer is a baby? Come on. 
Isaiah. Be serious for once. Who would sit at home, fold his arms, and hope that one of these days a baby will be born, and the baby will grow up to be the savior we need? We need help now, not nine months later when the virgin has given birth. We need help now, not 30 years later when the baby has grown up and learned how to use his sword. Isaiah, don't you understand? It's very easy to listen to what the king might have been thinking and laugh at him and think he was foolish until you think about your own situation and you realize that often that is how we respond to God's things. We look at the world's standards on how the world describes greatness and success and we assume that when God comes to help us or to save us, he needs to come according to our expected worldly standards. And we don't realize that the God, that God chooses the weak and foolish things of this world to challenge and astound the wisdom of the world. That when God does intervene, he comes in his own way, in his own terms, and not according to the expectations of the world. That God does not have to come in thunder and in storms and in catastrophes and pandemics. That often God is actually coming in the still small voice like he did with the prophet Elijah. And because we are looking for big and spectacular things, we miss the small, silent, still, calm voice of God. Because we are waiting for what the world has defined as success, we miss God's intervention in our problems and our crises. It happened to King Ahaz. He was looking for the mighty and great. And what he didn't realize is that God had wrapped mightiness and greatness in a baby. And this is what the prophet is saying. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The question is, will we recognize that this is what we've been waiting and longing for? Or will we bypass what God has provided as our way of hope and refuge and devise our own personal means to save ourselves? The greatest offense of the gospel is our despising the measure of grace that God has put for us. That we look at the way God has ordained salvation, the call to free receiving of the great gift of God, and we despise it and we say, no, it can't be so cheap and so simple like this. We have to do something about it. God cannot save us freely. No, we have to suffer a bit so that at least we can pay for our sins. And what you find is that many people would rather try to work for their salvation rather than receive the salvation that God has already given them because it is too good to be true. How can so great and so mighty a God come to so sinful and so evil a people and then he pronounces us righteous as though we had not sinned or because a baby is born? No way. We can't believe this. It's too simple. It's too cheap. We don't think we need this. So we would rather sweat and walk our way. We would rather try to obey the commandments and of course fail. We would rather put in our human effort and seek to please God in our own way as defined by the world in which we live. 
And that is the offense of the gospel. That the gospel comes to us in simple ways that we despise and reject. We look for great and complicated ways that we can never fulfill to meet the standards of the gospel. And this is what we find here. That when God finally shows up, when God pronounces the great light that will challenge and dispel the darkness, the light has been wrapped in a baby. The light has been wrapped in a child. If only King Ahaz had taken time to listen to the introduction of this baby and this child, he would have recognized that there was much more going on in the child than just the size of a baby. Because the prophet doesn't stop on a baby. The prophet goes on and describes a child that is much bigger than a child. In this description, last Sunday we learned that this child was an embodiment of God's grace. That God is not just saying a child has been born, a son has been given, but God is saying to you, to us. He's born for us. He's given for us. We the undeserving, the sinful, the wicked, the ones ripe for God's judgment, the one living in darkness. This child is born for us. That this child is an embodiment of God's grace. That this child is an embodiment of God's glory. That you cannot just look at a crying baby in Bethlehem's manger without also hearing the angels saying, For today, in the city of Bethlehem, a savior, not a baby, not a child, just... A savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. That within this crying baby of Bethlehem is none other than God himself wrapped in human flesh. Last Sunday we, we, we looked at that wonderful quotation from one of the scholars who reminded us about the mystery and the wonder of who this Jesus is. And he said that he is the only one born with no earthly father but an earthly mother. He is the only one who had a no heavenly mother but an, a heavenly father was actually older than his mother and he was as old as his father. And this is what the prophet Isaiah is saying. That before you throw away the baby, before you despise her as the hope that God offers, take a moment to unwrap this baby and find what is in him. Because when you take the time to do so, you will realize that it's no ordinary baby as the prophet had already described him as Emmanuel, God with us. Indeed, as we unwrap this wonderful gift of Christmas, we, we recognize that he is much more than we ever thought. The prophet Isaiah says, take the time and look at his description. Take the time and look at his titles and you will find that he is not just a child born in a human body, but he is a son and by virtue of his sonship, he is the eternal son of God. This is eternity wrapped in humanity. This is God in human flesh coming to dwell among us. It is not just a baby. 
It is the Savior Christ Jesus the Lord. The prophet says that's why his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be Mighty God. He will be Everlasting Father. He will be the Prince of Peace. He will rule, and not just rule, but of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And in case you were wondering, he will sit on the throne of David as the promised descendant of David whose kingdom would have no end. So this is no ordinary child, my friends. Before you despise the baby and throw the baby away. Before you look for better and sophisticated weapons as you call them. Before you seek the help of the heathen nations to deliver you from your crisis. Look at the baby. Look at the baby. Are you sure he's just a baby or there is much more? How many of us have looked at the baby and said this to meet my needs? Excuse me, and have walked away to find better means that we think are able to deliver us. The reason hell is open, the reason many will walk that blood way into hell, it is not because God has not provided the means of salvation. It is because men have rejected the means of salvation and chosen to devise their own. It is because men have despised the baby and walked away without ever knowing that there was more to the baby than they ever thought. And in this passage, we will find that this baby is one of profound wisdom. That when the prophet describes him, he describes him not just as a counselor that you come to for comfort, for strength, for help, for guidance, but he describes him as wonderful. And the word wonderful is not just something amazing, but something that points to the supernatural, the beyond our understanding, the beyond our comprehension, the beyond our means. And this child comes to us as a wonderful counselor who will be wonderful in his words, wonderful in his works, wonderful in his ways. That no matter how you look at him, he will be all wonderful, all amazing, all marvelous, all glorious. The counselor that anybody could ever have. Profound in wisdom. No wonder in his ministry in the New Testament, every time he spoke, the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of the day, whoever heard him marveled and wondered, what kind of man is this? Nobody ever spoke with so great wisdom and authority. Even the experienced teachers of the law found him amazing and wonderful. Every question they posed to him, not only did he have answers to their questions, but he questioned their questions. He was not just one who answered their questions, but he even questioned their answers and left everyone wondering, wow, what a man, what a man. He's profound in his wisdom. But even more than that, he is powerful in his presentation. The prophet does not just say he's going to be a strong, energetic baby. No. 
He says in this baby, you will find a mighty God. You will find a mighty God. Not just God, but a mighty God. Powerful. It speaks to his authority. It speaks to his ability to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and no questions asked. That when you look in the face of this baby, what you see is profound wisdom, what you see is power. The power to defeat your enemies. The power to remove your obstacles. The power to deliver you from your shackles of sin. The power to defeat the Syrians and the conspiracy that has come against the nation of Judah. The power to shine light in this darkness. The prophet says in this baby, in this child who has been given to you, you will find that there is a mighty God who is powerful and who is profound in wisdom. But he is not just the profound powerful king who comes and threatens and scares and, and causes fear against his enemies. While he brings fear against his enemies and yours, he is also personal and particular in his approach. The prophet calls him an everlasting father. Now the prophet is not saying that Jesus is the father as some of the cultic groups around us would like to misunderstand Jesus and distort the Trinity. But this word father can actually speak to the origin of things. That Jesus has identified as the originator, the beginner, the creator. That when you look at this baby, you also see the beginning of all things. But also... That he is pictured as one that has characteristics of the father. That when he rules his people, when he relates with his people, he will relate to them as a father to a son. As a father, he will provide fatherly love and care. As a father, he will provide and protect his children. As a father, he will be tender towards his children. He will teach them. He will lead them, he will nurture them, he will give them all they need. And when he does that, he will not do it as the powerful king, but he will do it as the personal father who walks beside them, who lives among them. You see, one of the things that set Christianity apart is that very, very attribute of God. That there is no other religion in the world that would identify God as our father. For other religions, he is the great, fearful, majestic God who is sovereign and so far away, you better be on his good side or else you are consumed. But when you come to the Christian faith, Jesus not only calls us to pray to the sovereign, powerful God, but he says, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven. That this same God who is majestic and high has chosen to be lowly and come and live among us. Relate with us. In the book of Genesis, we see him coming down in the garden of Eden and having fellowship with Adam and Eve, even though he didn't have to. He does not come to Eden because he is lonely. He does not come to Eden because he has nothing to do. 
He comes to Eden because ours is a personal and relational God. Something you will not find in any other religion. Something you will not find anywhere else. Many people, when they come into positions of leadership, they need the red carpet. They want to sit on a throne. Whoever must approach them must come on their knees. But not so with our Father. Not so with the Christian God. Is that while the kings of the earth sit on the throne and wait for everybody to come to them, the king of all creation instead left the throne and came down among men. That's what we read in Philippians chapter 2. Even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to grasp. But rather, lowering himself, coming among men, living among men, suffering among men, even to the point of death on the cross. That is the wonder of the gospel, friends. That in Christianity we see a God who comes among his people. He comes as Emmanuel. He comes as the son wrapped in the child. Eternity wrapped in humanity. Lives among people for the purpose of giving himself for them. That is the gospel. This is what the prophet Isaiah was telling King Ahaz. He was saying Ahaz, the only way to experiencing peace, not just the cessation of war, but peace that surpasses human understanding is to look to the child. The prophet is saying, look to the child. Wait for the child who will be born of a virgin. Because when he comes, joy comes. When he comes, the war ends. When he comes, war weapons are burned in the fire. When he comes, it is like the victory of those who divide the plunder. The king did not understand him. The king did not believe him. I hope in our time that we do. That in this Jesus, in this child, in this very, very son, we have found a profound counselor. We have found a powerful king. We have found a personal father who attends to our needs. But you see, he's not just profound and powerful and, and personal, but, but he's also peaceful. The prophet says he's the prince of peace. That when he comes, he brings wholeness and wellness. The world might give us peace for a while from the cessation of war. But even when that peace comes, it is so that we can make better and bigger weapons to fight tomorrow. So there really is an everlasting peace. There is a movie I once watched about the Rwanda genocide called Sometimes in April. And uh, in this movie, one of the United Nations big shots is hard to, to speak to people who are calling out for peace. And he says, for us we are peacekeepers, not peacemakers. We keep the peace only if it is there. If it's not there, we have nothing to keep. And against the background of these very words, which are true indeed, when the prophet pronounces or describes or announces this child that has come to us, he describes him not just as the peacekeeper, but as the peacemaker. He is the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, the prophet says there shall be no end. Now I want you to notice how the prophet brings these two 
probably opposite words together government and peace usually government and peace are two opposite words when you think about government you think of political chaos you think of political maneuvering you you, you think about competition you, you think about each one trying to grab whatever they can you think about power and pride And then when you think about peace you think about stillness and, and calmness and and wellness and and restoration of things and and order and and stability but the prophet says there is only one person in which these two opposite things can find harmony and that person is the child that will be born In this world you can have one but not the other If you have a government you will have political chaos and turmoil and competition and conflict and crisis because that's what the governments of the world look like If you have peace you have the opposite of that But the prophet says in this child in this son who will be given in this profound powerful personal peaceful child the government and the peace Not only come together but they increase. Not only do they increase but forever. Very unique. Very important. So amazing that this child not only rules but he rules completely. He rules peacefully. He rules powerfully and he rules eternally. you see why a great light has come now do you see why a great light has dawned upon a people that are living in deep darkness this great light that dispels the darkness that has been here for as long as you have lived and as long as you have known it this great light can only come wrapped in a child can only come when the son has been given notice a son has been given by who by god a gift of grace that if you are going to live in the light that if you are going to walk out of darkness never to look back anymore then you must embrace the baby then you must embrace the child You must embrace the good news in this promise of the prophet Isaiah. And the message and the, the the promise does not change. It is not like those who refuse this promise God has plan B for them. No, there is only one. 700 years later we would hear indeed that God had provided and brought to fruition his promise because the angels will come and proclaim the same message they will call it good news when they come to the shepherds of Bethlehem in that darkness of the night in Bethlehem the angels come a brilliant light shines all around the shepherds and the voice comes and the angel of the lord says do not fear i bring good news to you that will be of great joy for all the people what is this good news today in the city of david a savior is born 
He is the Christ, the Lord. Make no mistake. Even though he is born, he is the Savior. Do not despise those who are born as children. No, he is the Savior. And because of this Savior, because of this Christ the Lord, because of this baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, a crowd of angels gather together. And what is their song? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth among men on whom the Lord's favor rests. Nothing will ever be the same again because of this Savior who has been born. Our passage ends by saying that the zeal of the Lord will bring this to pass. And 700 years later, the Lord brought this to pass. He moved the Roman government to pronounce a census that would see to it that Jesus is born in Bethlehem according to the prophet Micah. He moves the great star in heaven to burn so bright to attract the attention of the wise men and bring them to worship the one who is born king. In his great power, he unleashes an army of angels to announce the good news of the Savior's birth to the insignificant shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And the zeal of the Lord did accomplish it. And no wonder. The light has come in the world. The light has shone. The question is, will you receive this light? In John 8 verse 12, Jesus would tell those following him, and he would say, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will no longer walk in darkness, but will receive the light of life. Please notice that. Jesus is not saying they will receive the light. He's saying they will receive the light of life. The light that shines into eternal life. The light that brings eternal life. The light that dispels darkness. And this Jesus would not only give them the light of life, but he would call all those who believed unto him to receive the right to sonship, but also to become the light of the world. That Jesus says of those who have believed in him. Of those who now follow him. He says you are the light of the world. No one gets a light and puts it under a basket. Rather he puts it on a lampstand. On a higher place for the world to see. That brothers and sisters. We have not only received light in the midst of darkness. But Christ who is rich in mercy and grace. Has also called us to be the lights of the world. That we who have believed in him, we who have overcome the darkness of sin and its power, have been called to walk in the glorious light of our Savior Jesus, that the rest of the world can now see Christ's light as they look at us. As they look at us. As they see how we behave. As they see how we relate. How we forgive and how we serve one another. The light of the gospel is seen. Men in darkness who long for this light cry and call out. And they long for that light because they see it in us. They see it lighting our path. And they desire and yearn for that light. And they come and they find it in Christ. That Christ has not just called us to testify that light has come. He has not only called us to benefit from it. 
But he has called us to pass it on, to emit it, that now the world in darkness can see that light of God's glory in and through us. Brothers, are you that light? Have you been walking in that light? Have you been emitting that light for the world to see and to know that Christ Jesus is indeed Lord? Because if you haven't, then this passage calls you and challenges you. No one comes to this profound, powerful, personal, peaceful king and then ever walks away and continues business as usual. And that's why we're saying that those who believed in him, they didn't just say we believe and walk away. But he gave them the right to become children of God. And as children of God, they now walk like sons. They now live like sons. They now walk like heirs of the heavenly inheritance. They no longer live in the indulgences of the life that they once lived. That we can no longer afford to love the darkness and what it brings. We can no longer be content and comfortable in the darkness of this world. But now we want to walk in the light. We want to shine that light. We want to share that light that the world may know that Jesus indeed is the light of the world. And that's a challenge to all of us. That no one just comes to the message, appreciates it and walks away, continues business as usual. On the contrary, that we now become that very light that the dark world longs for. And in and through us Christ shines. In and through us Jesus is seen to be the king that he is. The peaceful one. The powerful one. The profound one. The personal one. And the one who is coming to establish a government in which he will rule completely, powerfully and eternally. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.